As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we are talking about goals. Absolutely loads of them. Goals for Manchester City, Tottenham, Liverpool, Fulham and Burnley. And we'll also be talking about Sheffield United, who, quite frankly, didn't score any goals, which is one of the reasons they've changed their manager. Joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that is a man who knows a thing or two about scoring goals, having grabbed a few during a long career as a striker for clubs including Millwall, Aston Villa, Chelsea and Marseille. It's Tony Cascarino. We've also got a man who knows a thing or two about stopping goals or at least trying to anyway, in a career up and down the Football League as a defender for Nottingham Forest, Northampton, Grimsby Town and many more, it's Gregor Robertson. And if you'd asked me at the start of this football season what my hopes and dreams were for the podcast, I'd have said I've only got one goal, and that is to get Charlotte Dunker to take a break from covering teams in Manchester and the Midlands and join us on the podcast. And today, it's mission complete. Charlotte, welcome to the game for the first time this season. Thank you. I'm a bit disappointed you didn't ask me about my illustrious football career. Well, now you can tell us. Well, no, it's gone now. now Thanks. These two us. got the big build-up. And what did I get? Absolutely nothing. Listen, you've got to learn from your compatriot, Alison Rudd, who would have jumped in here with a story about the time she met Alison Wenger or scored a goal at the Emirates. So, you know, there's plenty of time. Steve McLaren had clapped when I scored a goal once. That's my only football claim to fame. That's pretty good. What That's, kind of a goal? It, why, it, why did he clap? Why? What was it? <laughs> Maybe he felt sorry for me. I don't know. It was, <laughs> it was just some weird drill that we were doing at primary school. And um, yeah, he was there watching his son when I was the only girl playing. What are we talking, like side-footed into the bottom corner? Just a little tapping. I'm not going to give it the big build-up. It's gone downhill, this story. I know, I'm sorry. Can we move on? Can we move on quick? Let's move on, let's move on. And to the comebacks, and I'm not talking about my return from holiday, we are going to the Etihad and a 3-3 thriller. So I'm going to start with a classic kind of podcast host, open-ended question for you. It means you can basically answer it or you can just choose to talk about something from the game that you see fit. Uh, was this game and the result and the outcome more important in a positive way for Tottenham or in a kind of slightly worrying negative way for Manchester City? Tony, I, I I'm would come to you. Sorry, Tom. I, I would probably go on slightly worrying time for Man City because it's really weird watching Man City and seeing Bernardo Silva give away the ball which I found quite funny and quite refreshing because he never gives the ball away. And especially when he he did it in the first half, it nearly gives Spurs a chance to score. He's a fantastic player. But there were things that happened in Man City that we don't recognise. And that is bad defending, which they certainly have never been that under Guardiola. Uh, but this year feels quite strange. I mean, obviously, games midweek, Leipzig, Chelsea, and now what we saw uh, certainly yesterday with um, obviously the 3-3 draw against Spurs. It, it, Guardiola's come in as left-back 
I'm not sure why Nathan Aki wouldn't be first choice there because he's, he's had a hard time. He's done, look, in the World Cup, he was brilliant a year ago. He was playing as a centre-half. He's come into Man City, and like Pep does so often, wants to play players in other positions. But I don't think that's worked for him at left-back. I think Brennan Johnson was giving him problems, especially with his electrifying pace. But there was a number of issues in the game. I'm seeing Diaz, centre-half, he's been average. He's never average. He's a top-quality centre-half that's been outstanding for City. So I'm seeing lots of things. Also, I'm three or four things that are happening with City that I don't associate the way that Pep's team play and the standard of their performances, which clearly have not been as good. Akanji's not been as good as recent weeks as well. You know, and he, he's been terrific. A free transfer, or what What was he, about 15 million? I'll ba- say that. Basically a free transfer. Yeah, for yeah. City, it's a free <laughs> transfer. Um, but I, I, I sort of, I feel that. And even Edison with one of the goals, I, you know, he was beaten way too early easily for me with a song goal. Yeah. So I'm 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 seeing things that you don't see very often and especially if you multiply them by Edison's mistake or Guardiola going in at left back and not doing so well and then looking at Bernardo Silva and giving away the ball and there's a number of things I just don't recognize what City do because they do not give you opportunities like that. Charlotte, would you agree with Tony's assessment? Yeah, I think I was at the game on Tuesday, I think it was, the Leipzig, Leipzig game. Yeah. And the discussion there was, is was that the worst perform- Guardiola performance really? for Man City? Mm-hmm. Because it's like you said, we were watching it and we, they just don't look like the team that they were. Defensively as well, like Diaz mm-hmm. in that game was absolutely dreadful. I think I gave him a four. I never give anyone a four. I never give anyone <laughs> below a five because I get very think uh, player ratings get a bit personal. But yeah. I was like, he was really, really bad, and it's uncharacteristic mistakes, isn't it? And it's yeah. not just a one-off. We've, I think, it's been coming over the last few few weeks, but in an awful way. It's like you said, it's quite refreshing that you see them making these mistakes because then you look at the title race and you think. I don't know. There's just something in the back of my mind that thinks it's Manchester City. Of course, they're going to click into gear. We saw it last season, didn't we? After Christmas, the run they went on was unbelievable. Yeah, well, that is the de facto view of our Mr. Realism, <laughs> our, our favourite Scott over here, uh, but also our favourite defender. So what what would you agree with those guys? Kind of the defensive lapses, a little bit of a drop in performance? Yeah, I mean, Guardiola's has, has had a difficult time. Uh, the thing about it is a lot of these you know the 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 system you need some kind of pretty specialized players so uh Aki was came in and sort of wow with us last season we hadn't seen him play like that for Manchester City, Manchester City at all and this seemed like the perfect kind of hybrid role for him that left left back slash center half role uh you need someone like John Stones able to step into midfield and that's a very specialized role obviously he's he's been injured Akanji's not not kind of of the same level in that uh in that kind of midfield role uh, and we saw when Rodri was gone I still keep coming back to Gundogan's departure when we're talking about control which is what Manchester City have lost which they've always had he was the, the most important player for, in that respect I think um, so I just think yeah, I think those specialised roles that the, the players that they're now having to not necessarily having to I agree with Tony I mean Aki I think he's had, he's had injury mm. troubles but um, you know I still think he's he's the he should be the number one pick in that position, um, and and just a few of the new players who are like that they're not I've said this before they're not kind of seasoned winners they've not done it year after year after year for City so that does make you wonder whether they will have the same click as Charlotte said there which we're we're so used to because 
some of these guys, either you know, even someone like Alvarez, who's, who's who was kind of a bit popular last season, he's now being relied upon. There are players who haven't done it over the last few years. That's what's going to make it interesting for the title race. Yeah, well, serial winners, you don't get much better than Kevin De Bruyne, do you? When he comes back, that'll be a big part yeah, to play. Yeah, Guardiola said in his press conference in the new year for him. Yeah. And then John Stones as well. He mm. was immense last season, wasn't he, in that role? He's been out injured. He's back. He was back on the bench. Yeah. So if he starts playing again... Yeah, they could, they could come back. I mean, I, I want to talk about some of the things that you've raised in terms of City and a little drop-off and a little worry and Charlotte, really interesting to hear that you know in the press back you're t- talking oh, the standards are slipping but do you think that comes into Erling Haaland's reaction at the end of the game and City's reaction as a team where understandably I think we can all agree that the referee's decision not to play on is a frustrating one. Tony you'd be pretty fuming wouldn't you if you're on the attacking team getting on the end of that ball? Yeah um, I was talking to Gregor before we came on and it was one of them uh, well, wasn't, I wasn't quite sure what was in the mind of the referee at the mm. time because he clearly waved play on and then quite quickly afterwards then called play back yeah. um, and Haaland's frustration is yes because he's witnessed what we've all witnessed we're thinking well, you've, you've allowed play on yeah. Do you think also then the rest of my question would be that it's also part of that the game and the way it panned out and conceding that late equaliser and it's a kind well, of classic you know you saw the great Manchester United teams do it back in the day where it almost becomes quite a good talking point as a distraction that we're all talking about you know the, that refereeing error again and Erling Haaland's reaction and not talking about the fact that City have conceded three against the Tottenham team that have been ravaged by injury yeah and he probably should have won the game. I don't think he did it as a diversion tactic, though, did he? I think he was just yeah, absolutely few. Yeah. Well, yeah, there is a frustration in in players where look, they're so used to being comfortable in games, and the last three have been anything but that. Mm. Every game they've been in recently has been a bit of a ding dong, toe to toe, and they haven't looked comfortable. Now that's not Man City. And they're three games back to back. So it's not like they've gone on this run of five wins and, and one of them games they had a bit of a ding-dong with somebody. And they've gone three games with a lot of things that would give even die-hard Man City fans something to think about. Think, this is not what we're about. We're used to controlling the game with possession, dominating the opposition in every shape or form, causing them problems, switching it on and off in during a game. I mean, City are brilliant at doing that. They'll slow it down and then quicken up from nowhere. That They haven't been like that in the last three games. It's been literally toe-to-toe football, which that's not Man City. I mean, still, if we're being fair, I think if they'd won the game, you would have said they probably deserved to. They, they had, I think, 17 attempts to eight. They still had the better of the chances. Haaland, Haaland like... You're kind of rubbing your eyes when he misses that one when he pulls it wide. Yeah. Uh, you know, they hit the post. They, they still created a lot of chances and, you know, were it not for a 90th minute equaliser, uh, they would have won the game and I don't think anyone would have said that was unfair. So, despite everything we're talking about, it, does, it is coming back to how many goals are conceded and how many chances and that's what Guardiola said. He said, it's not necessarily, like there have been kind of one-off games against Chelsea, even against Liverpool. He's like, it's it's the it's how many chances we're 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 letting the other team create kind of on average and that's what's increased. We've conceded ten goals in the last four games. When when did you last say that about Manchester City? Yeah, well, I mean, we're talking very negatively about City and perhaps with good reason as well. But we want to talk about Tottenham as well because it's a big big point, particularly in the circumstances. Um, Ange Postecoglou getting quite a lot out of players like Brian Gill, who I've, I've almost forgot he was at Tottenham. I'm be, I'll be honest, um, but did brilliantly to create their first goal for Son. Um, 
how much credit, Gregor, does Postacoglu deserve for these kind of moments where they have the little dip and everyone goes, oh, well, there you go, Spursy's back, etc., etc., and then he takes takes a kind of a bit of a ramshackle team to City and gets a point. I mean, it's it's incredible, really. You talk about they're playing with two fullbacks and centre halves at the Etihad, and you know, there's almost this like philosophical question about if they just were to play a little bit more conservatively, you know, would they have actually have had a better chance of of winning the game, or if if they did that, would would they create the chances like that one you mentioned, where Gill spins on the edge of his own box and plays a ball, and then and then I think it was Lascelles who played it through, and, he, and Son's off. You know, but I even come back to, you know, I think for City's third, it was Basuma who had mm. the ball, and he could have just laid it back to maybe Ben Davis, someone behind him. But it's almost like part of his role and part of a midfielder's role at Spurs is to lure in the opposition, is to bait the, their press, and then play through it, is to take those risks. And he tried to do it again, lost the ball, cross square, Grealish scores, they nearly lost the game. Then in the 90th minute, Skip, Oliver Skip, who is a pretty conservatively minded uh, midfielder, got the ball in, in the centre circle. He was almost the last man and he manipulated it to get a, get a bit of space and Spurs were off and equalised. So, like, it's the risk and reward and it's just it's just fascinating to watch. You know, I think, I think the fans are completely on board with it. They think after what they've just been through with, you know, watching uh, Conte's team and Mourinho's team, they are absolutely on board with this, and it's almost you know it's 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 admirable that someone is so committed to one vision, uh, even when you're down to the bare bones and you have no defenders, uh, and you're having to play as you say someone like Brian Hill who've hardly seen Lucelso who's come out coming from the cold and scored a couple of goals recently, and they're all they all seem to be invested in it. They're all thinking this is great fun to play in, uh, so yeah, I, I admire I admired it. Um, but it's still really interesting that that idea of if you know if they were to tailor it just that little bit, would yeah. they possibly have had a better chance? I don't know. They might not create those chances then. No. Uh, do you know what I kept thinking? And, and Poro did something at the end of the game, which I couldn't stop laughing at. He done the back hill inside, literally inside his own eight, eighteen yard box, and I, I kept thinking, cool. Yeah, I'm going to do my dinosaur moment. Tony Dinosaurinus um, <laughs> is. You'd be pinned up against the against the wall in the dressing room with the Bizuma one. Yeah. And not so long ago. Yeah. Where players would be going, not the manager, because he might be fuming, but players literally having you up against the uh, that wall going, What the hell were you thinking? Why did you do that? And yet it seems to be allowed with <laughs> Angie's team that you can go, I'm gonna try it. Well just allowed, got, it's actively yeah, encouraged. It's part, yeah, well exactly. It's more of a better way of putting it. It's saying this is our idea of how we get past the press yeah. is to lure people in and then we'll break as quickly as we can. But it's still it's you you come away thinking, Well hold it. What is the answer to this? Because if you're gonna do this and you're gonna give away goals, but there is heart you know, your hands hands are in your head sometimes watching Spurs and the keeper in the back line play their way out of trouble against some press and taking high risk. But you have to yeah, I have to reel myself back in and go, Well, this is the idea and I admire him for staying with what he believed. Because no even with Harry Kane, there was no way on earth Spurs could go to City in previous managers under Conte, Mourinho, that they could get three goals. Hmm. Now, someone will probably message in, well, they did in, but <laughs> it just doesn't feel like that. In do you see what I mean? League, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That was wild. But do you know what I mean? It, it feels like you, that way of playing is, 
giving you something from a game that you, which we've said they could have easily lost. But fair play that they're staying to that plan A. By the way, plan A exists because plan B is the second choice. Yeah. So if you, I you're mean, better off if you perfect you'd, you'd argue plan. There isn't a plan B. Uh, no. Well, yeah, and plan A, you just try and perfect it as best you can, and as you're doing it, you hopefully you will get better at it. Yeah, absolutely. Charlotte, you, you've uh, not had your say on Tottenham. Everyone else has on this podcast so far this season. So I'm going to ask you, not necessarily for your overall view, but for the difficult question which I've asked to all the other guys, where do you think they'll finish at the end of the season? Ooh, I'm going to go fourth. You, go, you think they're going to get into fourth? Yeah. Even ahead of Aston Villa, who we're going to talk about later on. So we'll come back to that and I'll remind you of that because I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm then going to ask you where Aston Villa are going to finish and you'll, have, you'll say fourth again. But uh, <laughs> So make sure you get that in order. Um, but talking about the Premier League table, Manchester City in third at the minute. Um, and we're going to come on to talk about Liverpool. But quietly, Mikel Arteta and Arsenal sit top of the table, Tony. Um mm. What what do you th- what do you think they're making of this season? Obviously, last season they were the team that everyone was talking about, much in the same way that we're talking about Tottenham and going, "Wow, Arsenal have cracked it! Aren't they brilliant? They, mm. Will they actually go for the title?" And then they fall short, and now this season, even though they're top, no one's chatting about that as a as, as a kind of possibility. Yeah, I I well, I initially when they signed Declan Rice, I thought there might be a, a slightly more pragmatic way of trying to win games because of his ability to keep the ball in midfield and rob the opposition of the ball so often, um, I think Arteta will be delighted, not just being top of the league, but seeing out games, because you know they've had two previous seasons where they fell away at the end, where mistakes happened uh, and they didn't achieve what... They, they looked like they could do at one time. And I feel like Arteta is quite comfortable, and I don't want to say 1-0 to the Arsenal, but even on Saturday that... You know, leading 2-0 and ending up getting back to 2-1, they still got the game over the line. Do you think any of that's to do with the, you know, the end of the season, not just last season, but in previous Yeah, I think... You know, oh, they, bo- they bottled it again. What do you, well, that's, uh, I don't like the word bottled. I think that... They were beaten by a better team. Yeah, I mean, I remember when they lost to Newcastle and they had a number of injuries and Arteta played... So that's not last year's year before. And Arteta played Ben White, who clearly wasn't fit and Gabriel didn't look right. And he's tried to get the best out of the 11 that was picked for him at that time. And they fell away. Um, And I think they fell away last year, but it was from a... You know, this club that were chasing them then done the double over them. So it it was a massive ask for them to hold out and I just think they're a little bit more pragmatic this year. Um, Gabriel and Saliba's partnership looks more solid. Um, so there are a lot of things he'd be really happy with. By the way, as much as them winning, he would have loved that Spurs got a point. He knows that anything that City are, are going to give to you, you've got to take it. And you've got to add because you just know that, like we said, if Stones and De Bruyne come back in and City... This is the worst I've seen City play in a three-game period... For, for since Pep's been there I can't and they're still scoring loads of goals so you know that this City team is very likely to be a very different side by February, March Well another man who will be delighted at uh, Tottenham pinching a point off Manchester City will have been Jurgen Klopp his team beating Fulham 4-3 in another Sunday goal fest um, Gregor Liverpool I remember us talking at the start of the season about you know them being involved in kind of high scoring games Worry, worries about them defensively as well. They seem to have kind of gone for a bit of a, a bit of a more old school. We'll just score more than you. Don't worry about it, lads. Well, I don't think they want it to be that way. Don't I think uh, you know, they, as you as you're alluding to, they they did 
they were much improved this season uh, defensively. Um, Tony and I were talking before the, the Matip's now got a knee injury. He'll be out for a while. Andy Robertson's out. It's a bit of a patched up defence. And there's also this conversation about, you know, although Trent's, Trent Alexander-Arnold's influence is growing mm. on the ball and he was outstanding yesterday, like outstanding. And when he steps into that midfield position, you know, now people think suddenly there's this conversation, should he just play in midfield? Because the counterpoint to it is that everyone is, is target in the space that he, he, he sort of vacates. Uh, and Anthony Robinson was was brilliant uh, in this game, combining with with Iwobi and, and uh, Pereira. So, um, so there still are kind of question marks defensively about them, but they're like they're like sick. They're just going to score bagfuls of goals all the time. There's no doubt about that. They've got too many. You see the you see the way Trent Alexander Arnold picks the ball up deep and kind of runs forward. And if he's not if he's not closed down, he's he's like a quarterback. He just picks picks out forward runs, mm-hmm. you know, out to end runs from. Uh, from Salah or or or, uh, or Nunes running in behind Nunes again, he kind of like the nearly man. Although he was really heavily involved in in a lot of Liverpool's goals, he also had some chances that he that he he missed. And you're just thinking, you just you know, we thought at the start of the season this is him. He's clicked, it's clicked for him, and now he's gone. I think six games without a goal. Um, so, but but as I say, there are enough goals in their team. Mm. They've got enough. You know, McAllister was an absolute worldie. So Bosley. Uh, is not not afraid to, to to hit one from outside the box. Um, the question is now that they're a wee bit down to the bare bones is is going to be defensively, but again that makes it fascinating for the title race. Yeah, you say bare bones though. I'm quite fascinated by Liverpool's squad because that was something that Paul Joyce wrote about a lot in the summer. The idea that they missed out on people, Caicedo and others who went to other clubs elsewhere for big money. I actually look at the squad now and think they've got quite a strong squad, particularly yeah. in the forward and midfield areas. Tony, would you agree? Yeah, um, I would agree. I look. One thing that Jurgen Klopp and the, the club have done brilliantly is recruitment and the value for money they get out of the players. Have done that brilliantly well. There's very few bad examples, and um, I think club substitutions have been extraordinary this season. Have you said to me the manager that's made more substitutions that have paid off? You know, in home games, and, and okay, their way records nowhere near as good, but substitutions have paid off really well. Endo getting a type of goal when he came on this weekend, they feel like to me they've got like three Cortinios in midfield. You know, one of the goals that Cortinio used to get feels like any one of them can do what Cortinio did, yeah. and especially if you put Trent in there, because I just feel watch him around the edge of the box if anything lands at his feet. But I'll tell you what the goalkeeper's going to know yeah. because he's firing him in for the goal at City was a perfect example of someone who can do things that very you know that no other footballer can do. Trent is to me in some ways, I think a lot of people in South America and I've got a couple of South American friends and they talk about Trent and say he's the best footballer in the world. I'm like, well, he's not seen as that in England. He's seen about his frailties defensively, and they go, you know, Carlos. Yeah. He could do what Carlos can do. Yeah. You know, when he's at the, a certain part of the pitch and they like, how many footballers can do what he can do? Yeah. Who cares whether he tracks back? Well, exactly. <laughs> well, they wouldn't They wouldn't be in that mindset anyway. But there is a real truth to that where you say, how many footballers really can get goals like Trent could do? Yeah, he's like, he's like he is like, a, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but he is like a generational player talent. Yeah. But it's, it's extraordinary that he doesn't really have a role. Mm. You know, he did when he was playing right back, but now it's been... So it's you, pretty much been anyone... exposed that he's not good enough defensively to play. So why why isn't Jurgen Klopp just going 
go on, just be a midfielder. Let's just finish this chat. Let's just stop all this debate about tracking back well, and part, space left in behind. Go well, on. Part of it is who, who's playing right back? Joe yeah. Gomez. He's, he's not looked very convincing yeah. when he's come in. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of, you know, it's also part of the the system of of elite teams now is about creating overloads in midfield. Uh, you know, you see Arsenal do it, you see City doing it, you see Spurs doing it with two fullbacks. So, like, if they're not creating the overload that way, then then how are they doing it? Uh, you know, it just it they've evolved a little bit. It, it used to be that Trent would kind of move up the pitch and play in that sort of inside right position and link with Salah or play him play the crosses and like in that sort of little Kevin De Bruyne a pocket of space playing those crosses in behind like delicious deliveries that he scored so many goals from. Now he's stepping more inside. Um, and and creating a genuine overload in midfield, and that seems to be part of the way teams are playing this season. They want to, they want to like draw teams in either to, at the back, but if yeah. if a team's not pressing high, they do it in midfield. That's like where they break the press. So he's, yeah. that's part of the part of his role. Look, now. just one one quick point because I'm sure Charlotte's got a lot more to add to what we've already talked about. But one big point is he's basically got four points for Liverpool in the last two games. Mm. Very vital four points by his mm. ability to do what he did against City and to do what he did, obviously, against Fulham at the weekend. But those sorts of players now, I think, are the ones who are transforming the teams because he can play that similar role to like what John Stones played, can't he? Mm. In terms of you've got your extra defender dropping mm. in, into midfield. So I think if we don't want to give all the credit to Guardiola because no. he's he, Klopp's more than capable of coming up with these ideas by himself, but it seems to have been... When Guardiola made that decision, all the others seemed to have cottoned on to it as well. That's called cloning. People do it in music. Just copy what the Beatles did. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with being a trendsetter. There's nothing wrong with that. No, No, a trend follower. (laughs) He does seem to have... They all seem to have gone, oh, look. That, that's a really good idea. Do we think? It, do we think it's almost talking positionally? And you know, there's lots of debates these days around formations, and we set out these formations in the paper and on the website yeah. and on telly and things. And actually, what's the point? Well, what we haven't got a clue. There is no point yeah. at that, but, is there? But am I then? I'm then coming to the point about a position. You know, and Gregor, you know, I intro, intro you as a former left back and centre back, and <laughs> that's me stepping midfield. No, 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 no. But this, this is what I'm coming to. You know, this idea that we're. I'm. I'm asking the question, saying, "Oh, is it time that Trent just became a midfielder?" Does it matter? No, I know, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I know. Do you know what I'm driving at? Yeah. To, to Charlotte's point that Guardiola and what he did with John Stones, where we're all going, oh, Stones is playing right back. No, he's not. Where is he? He's going over there. He's, he's on the halfway yeah. line. It's, it's kind of made the actual idea of a position a bit redundant, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, increasingly that's the direction of travel. It doesn't matter, but only only if there's the correct kind of balance in the team and who's around them. So if he's stepping into midfield, if they've got a player who has got the kind of multifaceted skill set you know who can play as, who's almost like a right back and a centre half together is Joel Matip that? not sure mm. uh, who is yeah. in this team I don't know That's that's been the issue you, they've tried it with Joe Gomez it's not you thought you would think he could have been that but he's, he's not really convinced this season I don't think uh, and Konate's had his injury troubles so that's really the question mark if they can get that balance right and they looked like they had for a good part of the season um do you think they'll still, sign Gregor? Do you mm-hmm. think they might sign someone in that right area of the pitch? Possibly. I think that's. Uh, I would say. I think they still need a centre half too, mm-hmm. just because, you know, Matip. I think Matip's Paul Joyce said today he's only got seven months left in his contract. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure he'll be there beyond yeah. the end of the season. Uh, Kanati has has been really impressive, but he's, he can't stay fit for long enough yeah. a lot of the time. So I think I think that's still 
a position that they need to strengthen. It might be who's someone who has got that that sort of flexibility. Well, signings or not, I'm just back from holiday, so I'm feeling generous and I'm in a good mood. I'm going to give you all a fiver to put on one of the two, one of the three teams, sorry, at the top of the table to win the title: City, Liverpool, Arsenal. You all get a fiver each. Who who are you backing? Don't all, jump, don't all jump at once. Oh, here he is. They're Mr. Realistic. Right, that's... I'm going to go Arsenal. Arsenal. I'm going to go City. City. No votes for Liverpool. Interesting. Now I want it that way as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Love to give away a fiver. Yeah, well... <laughs> uh, <laughs> We, we could do that uh, after the show. Um, very quickly, I, I will sh- we do have to talk about Fulham because they scored three goals at Anfield and looked good value for a draw maybe at certain points. Gregor, do we think that this game slightly sums up the kind of season they might have? Yeah, although a lot of the time they struggled with scoring goals and they obviously didn't in this game. Uh, you know, They undoubtedly will try and sign someone to play up front in January uh, after Mitrovic's uh, departure. I've been. I've watched quite a lot of their games this year, and they've, they, you know, they're still largely the same team as last season, and that they're really good, good to watch. Um, attacking fullbacks, you know, they don't. They don't just. Sit, you know, they don't. They wouldn't go to Anfield and park the bus. They're they're quite you know proactive front foot team, um, and so this was this is they thought they'd got a, they very nearly got a kind of historic result, and unfortunately. Uh, the sort of Anfield, Anfield factor came in, and I think it's eleven home home wins in a row this season. So, uh, nearly men. Yeah, we'll see uh, what Fulham can pull off in the rest of the season. Uh, I want to talk about Aston Villa very quickly, just before the end of part one, as we've got Charlotte Dunger here, who covers all our teams in the Midlands. Uh, Charlotte, they are fourth. They're just outside that kind of chat. I didn't offer you any chance to put a fiver on them to win the title. I know. Um, it's a bit rude, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit rude. Feel free to jump in if you want. Uh, you can you can always take your fiver elsewhere. Um, but I just wanted to ask you quickly: How is this where they expected to be at this season? You know, they're an ambitious club, well backed, well run after a good couple of years of kind of very clever thinking off the pitch, let's say. Um, and under Unai Emery, they seem to have got a perfect kind of marriage of. Um, off the field and on the field mm-hmm. set up. We, they're another team like Tottenham that we've talked about on the podcast a lot this season. Is is fourth in December where they were expecting to be or are they actually overperforming what I they think imagined? If you went back to when he was first appointed and you looked where they are now, I don't think anyone would have necessarily predicted that the, they would be where they are now. Just because, bear in mind, when Stephen Gerrard left, they were we were talking about them potentially getting relegated. So we, we know Emery is a better manager than Gerrard, but I don't think anyone expected them to get straight into Europe or Conference League and then to be talking about Champions League spaces. That is the aim this season, is obviously to improve on last season, to get in Europa, but ideally Champions League. So I think the job Emery's done there is exceptional, really. I think when he first came in, obviously they all sat out their ambitions, don't they? And he sat there in his first press conference and he's like, I'm going to bring trophies back here. I'm going to bring European football. And I was sat there thinking, okay, how 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 much better are you as a manager than Steven Gerrard that you're going to get this group of players? I know they've bought some more players in, but if you look, the majority of the team is the same that Steven Gerrard had. And they've gone from relegation fodder to fourth. So I think it's been remarkable, the job that they've done, but it's his club now because he's brought in Monchi and he's got an um, assistant called Damian Vidagani. And it's they're like the three musketeers. Everywhere you go in the training ground, they're together. Mm. 
Monchi travels on the team coach. He sits in the back of press conferences at European away games. You don't... Other clubs that I've covered, you don't see someone of that high level. They're involved in everything. So it's the three of them together and it allows... I think maybe this is why it's working for him at Villa, where it didn't necessarily work at Arsenal, because I think he has control over everything, whereas I'm not sure that he had that same control. Mm. But he's able to just focus on the football because the other two, who he trusts with everything can take care of everything else so I think it's just a really good everything's clicked into place for him and the club are allowing him the run of everything he everything's his decision and yeah the, it's the three of them really so it's the kind of thing that we talk about so much these days with football clubs and running a football club really well in terms of having the, the marriage of those two things mm-hmm. isn't it and you know when you think about clubs like Manchester United say not having got it right for a long period of time Villa seem to be really setting the standard but finally then I'm going to remember you picked Tottenham yeah. as fourth where they finishing at the end of the season good for Villa that is it's not looking good unless she's going to say unless maybe Charlotte's going to say third who knows no well after I said fourth for Tottenham I've just been thinking about all the teams that now <laughs> well, like, I, Charlotte I was going to say I, I think Villa will finish above Spurs do you think mm. Mm, I'm going to say sixth sixth crikey is that just to lower expectations? Are you, are you in on this as well? Is that is yeah? Not, I, I'm as, I'm I'm really emotionally involved now because I was like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to like do some more Champions League trips again? But then, <laughs> but then actually, I changed my mind and I thought someone's like, oh, the Champions League trips are boring, and and this isn't discrediting the Champions League, but we've done them. I covered Manchester City a bit, covered Manchester United a bit. It's the same teams, isn't it, in the Champions League? Whereas. You I'm like not, slumming not, it in the Europa I'm, League. I'm not going to Bosnia for the final game, but imagine that would have been one to tick off my list, wouldn't it? So I'm ha- I'm happy with the uh, Europa you've, League. You've justified it there with six. Though. Well, yeah, we'll see what Aston Villa uh, fans might have to say about that. And if you've got any views on where Villa might finish this season or who you might think might win the Premier League title, you can get in touch with me, tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk. That's the top of the table done. Next, we'll be looking at the bottom. Stick with us. listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts that's how apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks daisy there's more to iphone mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark and today I'm joined by Tony Cascarino, Charlotte Dunker and Gregor Robertson. And we've just looked at the top half of the Premier League table and now we are going to the bottom. Burnley fans, you know what's coming. You've got a huge 5-0 win at the weekend. Come to the Game Podcast on Monday expecting us to chat about them. Tough luck, we're going to talk about your opponents instead. <laughs> and that is because Sheffield United have parted company with Paul Heckingbottom, their manager. Chris Wilder coming in to take his place has been long rumoured for quite a while. Um, Tony, you know Chris Wilder really well. Hmm. What do you make of this decision? He's got a hell of a task on his hands. Well, it's not the task that he, when he first went back to Sheffield United a few years back when they were in League One and they were at the wrong end of League One and he walked into a football club that was disjointed in many ways from the fans hating the players, the players hating the fans, upstairs in the boardroom wasn't working too well and he had an incredible challenge because it was his you know, boyhood club, uh, Sheffield United. Um, and he tried to unite it. He tried to find a way, which he achieved brilliantly. Um, I'd seen Chris as a manager from Northampton days, um, even going back as far as Oxford, um, and he's had a rough ride in the last year or so, and uh, there's a hell of a frustration in there, but there's also a guy that wants to prove he can go back, and it wasn't like a one-hit wonder at Sheffield United, and a club that he knows inside out, and still a number of players there. They lack a hell of a lot of quality, uh, that's for sure, and that was evident this weekend. Um, and he also knew Paul. He, he knows Paul Heckingbottom because he, he. I'm pretty sure that Chris brought him on board at the club. Okay, it was done via the guy you know. Is it Jarvis? Jack, Jack Lester. Lester. Yeah. Jack Lester. He brought him in his academy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So academy coach. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, there's a huge challenge in there, and also there is the problem at the top of the club anyway because the club's up for sale mm. what do we make of the decision then because you talk about that and a lot has been written and discussed in the last few weeks about the sack race and how we've gone mm. this far into the Premier League season without any sackings and you know let's be honest Sheffield United have lost 8-0 before this season and they've lost at other times when we might have seen people make a change in manager what, what like why is it coming now is it because they lost to a relegation rival Gregor in Burnley do you think yeah I mean it looks pretty dispiriting for them now he's they, you know on the back of the Bournemouth game as well this was a sort of run of fixtures where you think probably it was going to be make or break um, but having said all that I can't think of a Premier League manager set up to fail as conspicuously mm-hmm. in, in living memory like it was so abundantly clear that he was being sent into war without a gun <laughs> like the selling the best players letting you know it a lot of lone players who were important uh, went back to the club from la- uh, went back from last season. Um, some really important figures like Billy Sharp, who I know they want to keep. Uh, basically, they were told no by the the owner. Enda um, Stevens, another one who you know people who had been part of the journey for a long time. Uh, I don't. I think I also can't think of a, a an owner of a club who's overseen two promotions to the Premier League while actively hindering their chances of winning promotion. He's he, like mm. even in Wilder's last spell, yeah. He was a difficulty. Prince Abdullah. He he would push players in front of him and he's still done it done it now. Who, so why is he going back then? It's a great opportunity well, and because he's trying to sell the club. Yeah. There's still a hope there's still clearly a hope for it for everyone that he's So why is Wilder going back? Because it's a great chance, and the owner's trying to sell the club, so he might not be around for long. Mm. But like, he's honestly, he's he lucked out with Wilder in the first place. 
well, the you know. Well, that's where there was a disagreement at the club in the first time because uh, the transfers and the the type of budget that Chris felt was, you know, needed to be done and absolutely right, spot on Gregor with, you know, Heckenbottom got dealt a terrible hand. There's nothing worse for a a manager or coach coming in and going, well, this is what you've got to get rid of and this is who you've got to go and buy and this is available to you. And we'll buy them on like two two days before the season starts. Yeah. I've told you I was at the training ground and they had 15 fit outfield players in, on the Tuesday before they start they kicked off the season and four of them were on loan at places like Barrow uh, Derby County one was from the sh- under 21s last year and one was I think in a team in like the Northern Premier League a Premier League team Oh, there's absolutely no doubt, and they, you know, and you, you've been a big advocate for why this should be part of the narrative around Sheffield United this season. And but I'm, I'm now saying, throwing forward with Chris Wilder, and you played, you played for him, Gregor. Like, what what does he do now? You know, we always talk about these things when we change managers. Me and James and the editors ring you lot and say, right, what's his in tray? What's the first things he's got to do to fix it? I mean, it's a long list, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, it's one advantage, as Tony said, is that there are players looking through the team there, Baldock, Norwood, Fleck, Robinson, McBurney, although McBurney's kind of lost his head, it seems. Uh, you know, Bogle. There are quite a few players who they've worked with in the past. They've been players that have been there a long, long time and been part of the journey. So, you know, he... He should be he should be able to kind of try and generate that the team spirit, which was a huge part, and the fighting sort of spirit, which was a huge part of their identity when he was at the club. That's what he's got to do first and foremost, mm. because there's no you know you can't you can't magic more quality. No. Out of uh, do you know what? Year. Do you know what was really weird for me is that I got sent a video, and I don't know if any of you have seen it, of the, before the start of the season, where the owner talks to two fans, and he basically still admitted that he was doing communication with Chrissy Wilder. Uh, and Paul Heckingbottom was the manager. And I remember thinking... It's, yeah, it's incredible. That he'd fell out with him, there was a disagreement, but now he's patched it up and now he speaks to Chris all the time and it's... Mm. You know... He also doesn't give any... Like, he doesn't give any interviews anywhere else, but he went on a fan's podcast. And you know what else he said in that? Because that that, that was went on the week that I... It was like... I think it was publicised a couple of days before I visited. And the players were, like... They'd lost their heads because he said as well that players only really try hard when they're in the final year of their contracts and all these guys who yeah. who had just won him promotion mm. despite not having hot showers uh, like the, the place being a building site like so many things like no bills Training being paid ground. no bills being paid so like there wasn't they didn't have any of the like uh, analysis uh, programs and stuff yeah. like that There's so many things that despite all that they'd won promotion Increased the value of the club he's trying to sell exponentially, and he's thrown them all under the bus saying that they mm. weren't trying. And, and, and I think there's like 14 or 15 of them now who have one year left on the contract. Mm. So it's kind of disproven his theory as well. Mm. He, he did. He, he's done so many things that have decimated the team spirit that both Wilder and Heckenbottom have generated so admirably. Um, so I think the, the most important thing for Jeff United is that he sells the club. Yeah, I but, think for Wilder though, it's, he can't lose in this situation, can he? Because no. everyone backed Sheffield United to go straight back down, even before a ball was kicked, because of mainly because of the situation. Look at their squad; it's not a Premier League squad, is it? Gregor bad mouthing them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so he's coming in, and now, and they're bottom of the league. Everyone expected them to go down mm. anyway. 
if he keeps them up, it'll be a miracle. If they go down, he's not going to be the one to blame, is he? So I, I don't. I think, and like you said, if the sale goes through and then they get an owner that comes in that cares and they can totally change the culture and everything around the club, then he has shown in the past that he is the right man for that. So I, I just don't I don't think he can lose in this situation. See, there was a problem a few years back, wasn't there, where the two owners, the Prince and McCabe, were battling in court and Chris was the manager and like had to have, he couldn't have any bias towards either of them because either one could have won the court case and took over the club mm. so Chris was in that oh, horrible position of just like I get on with my football which he would have been happy with and they battle it out in court and obviously the Prince won and so here we are now and and I think Charlotte and Gregor are spot on. Look, if the sale of the club goes through I think anything everyone will benefit and I think Chris Wilder would benefit as well because you now are not embroiled on all this off the, the you know the the pitch sort of confrontations that have been happening in this football club, the moment and the moment you feel sorry for Paul Heckingbottom mm. and and I don't think I totally agree with what Gregor said about a manager going into a Premier League with so little. Mm. If you think what Steve Cooper got, mm. and you could complain about the owner of Forest for many other reasons, maybe interference, but he went out and spent a load of money and gave the manager a chance. The only one that comes close is Norwich a few years ago when. They were promoted and they basically openly admitted, I think they spent like three and a half million pounds on like Sam Byram or someone, a yeah. right back. That it was slightly part of a deliberate plan though. Absolutely. As much as, as much as it was a plan to fail, Absolutely. it was a plan though. Whereas Sheffield United feels like Absolutely. Neg- negligence. Absolutely. They yeah. also signed all the best players like uh, Jamal Lewis, Max Ahrens, Timo Pukki on new contracts. Sheffield United have done none of that for years and now they're, all the players were at risk of leaving for free. So they had to sell them. Yeah. Even then, they didn't have to. He decided to. He wanted to bank the money. So they've been run shambolically, shambolically, and you know the owners to to blame for where they are, not Paul Eckenbar. Charlotte, you said it would be a miracle. What in a word have they got a chance of staying up? All of you, Tony, start with you. Very unlikely. Cheating. I said um, said one. Having word, a but... bias. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I think it's going to be a nearly impossible job for Chris Wilder. Charlotte. No. The... Gregor. I think they can make more of a fight of it, like just because sometimes it's not. Again, this is no slight on Eckenbaum. It's just a change of mm. of environment, atmosphere, everything. And I've been in, you know, when I joined Northampton, Chris, uh, Chris Wilder was the manager, and we were like six points adrift at the bottom of League Two. This was as well. Got promoted um, the next year, didn't you? You got promoted the next year. I didn't. Yeah. I left. <laughs> <laughs> you were the problem then, Greg. <laughs> He kept he kept them up. He kept them up. He had to me. I had this lad at fullback. He said, Craig and Robertson. He said, Well, he'd be first out the door. Um, So, like, I've seen that he can. He tries to like create a siege mentality and sort Mm. of. I don't know. But in a word. (laughs) In a word. Probably not, no. Probably not. That's definitely more than one word. Uh, Burnley fans, this is your time to shine. Finally, a win at home. They'd lost their last six league games and all seven at home this term. Is this victory for Vincent Company m- more than three points, do we think? I think if we take it in isolation, it could have been a championship game. So if we compare it to the rest of the table in terms of is this going to be the spark that they need to revive the season and push up the table and get out of the bottom three I'm not too sure so sorry to ruin the party for the Burnley fans after their 5-0 win at home but you're right in terms of that was their first league win at home 
of the season. So it's going to give them confidence, isn't it? But I just think when you look at who they were playing against and then obviously Sheffield United went down to 10 men after that ludicrous behaviour um, from McBurney. And then, yeah, I just think in the greater context of things, I'm surprised. I've compared them a bit to Forrest, actually, and they did end up staying up, obviously, last season in terms of when Steve Cooper got Forrest promoted, he was wanted them to play the same way that they played in the Championship in the Premier League. But it didn't work because the golfing class, in my opinion, was too big. Obviously, there's all we can talk about all the players that they signed. If you look at Burnley, they played that really attractive, exciting, attacking football that saw them storm the Championship. But I think they need to do more adapting. And I think what happened at Forest was Cooper went more defensively. I think it was around this time, actually. And it went away from the principles of how he wanted the team to play. But in the end, it kept them up. And I don't know whether maybe company needs... It goes back to the Postacoglu thing, doesn't it? What do you... Mm. Do you move away from how you want your, your principles of how you want your team to play if it means that you're going to get more results? Possibly. Slightly different when you're at the bottom. Yes, of the table, exactly. Isn't it? And then yeah. every, every point is vital. Mm. So I just think it's commendable that you still want to play this really great football. But if it's costing you all the time, is it not better to change a bit? I think I think they'd been improving anyway. And if you look at the West Ham game, they somehow contrived to throw away three points from the last home game. Palace before that was a smashing mm. grab. They lost 2 0, but they were the better team. Um, Bournemouth before you know uh, when they went to Bournemouth as well. I, remember, I think they basically gifted them the winner. Um, so I think they have been improving. But Charlotte's absolutely right. It's been that kind of we said that at the start of the season. It's you know it's about the balance between sort of your principles and what's going to be successful. And I suppose maybe it's slightly easier when you're the manager of Spurs and you've got Son up front and you know some of the talent that Spurs have that when you you create those moves when you're, you kind of, you know, break the press, break the lines and, and you're off. There's a better chance of a goal coming at the end of it and, you know, Burnley haven't really scored enough goals, to, you know, to what, you know, from, from their, from their play that the warrant is, that, that their play deserves. So, um, I, I agree, I can't, I don't think you can really take too much from a 5-0 win against the Sheffield United team that went down to 10 men and give them a goal in the first 15 seconds. Don't. What would you think? Well, I, well, I would totally agree because the West Ham game was a prime example of not getting over the line in a game. If you look at their fixture list, it's been really tough from the start of the season. They opened a campaign against Man City at home, which obviously they lost 3-0. And Wolves at home next. Now, Wolves are a strange side. You know, they've been given... Uh, obviously, points have been taken away from them from some really poor decisions. But if they went... In, in and got a result against Wolves um, and they have played better and they do offer a threat I just think it's a very vital game the Wolves game for them for their that momentum of a season a little bit belief of yes we've lost we've had a terrible home record and one thing I would say with Vincent Company he's had two challenges one is to create and go and get a team that gets you out of the championship and they did it unbelievable. What they mm-hmm. did last season was extraordinary because they lost a host of players. So you actually, actually had to build a new club to even look like a team that could challenge in the championship, which they achieved. And then the next season, you're thinking of Premier League football. And there were still challenges with who you're losing and who you bring in. And I think 
that's two two obstacles in a very short space of time that companies had to deal with. I just think the Wolves game is as big a game as it's going to be for them this season because if they can back up a win with another and get six points, because sometimes survival can be, and I've seen it many times, where you suddenly get results where people don't expect you to and you go and get six points from nowhere. And that's the one for me. Can they can they do it long term? I'm not so sure. But what I would like to see, if they can back out with another result, I think we might see a different type of Burnley in the second part Wolves of the season. Wolves have had some really big results at Molyneux this season. I just can't see Burnley going there. and. Well, it's it's a, it's a game. It. Yeah, true. Hmm. But they've you got Lamina should be back because he was suspended. I, don't, I, don't, I just think the balance of how Wolves have been playing. and You're oh. right in terms of maybe Burnley will obviously going to have the confidence, aren't they, after the last game. But I think just think Wolves at home and the way that they play and... Honestly. The threat up front. Aston Villa are going to finish six. Now you're pour, pouring cold water all over Burnley's excitement. Well, I've got to talk at Wolves, haven't yeah, I? That's Come true. on. <laughs> well, speaking, speaking of being Mrs Midlands, let's talk about Nottingham Forest, shall we? You were at the city ground for their game against Everton. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, big, a big game, and we're going to finish on that one. I want to start with Forest because the theme of your match report for the Sunday Times was as much about Steve Cooper and the Nottingham Forest fans as it was about Everton and this big win. Mm-hmm. So tell us more about being in the ground and kind of this feeling like a quite a significant moment for kind of Cooper and his standing amongst the Forest fans. Yeah, for me it felt the f- like the first time where fans are starting to doubt him and there was booing, which you never... There was a few boos after the Luton game, but this was like there was a lot. And, Did it, feel, and it felt like they were at him, not the yeah. players. Yeah. No, I fa- it feels like they seem to have reached a crossroads in terms of the expectation now of the players that they've bought, another 13 players in in the summer, and they've been narrowly missing out on points. And I think there's an expectation that maybe Cooper should be getting more out of them to try and get them further up the table and get them into the top half rather than getting them dragged back down into a relegation battle. Last season, there were so many mitigated circumstances, wasn't there? The fact that they stayed up in the end was nearly a miracle, bearing in mind everything that Cooper had to deal with. So now it's like, okay, they've had that first season and now they want to they want to become an established Premier League team. That's what they've said. They've made loads of changes at the training ground. They've brought in more players. They've spent more money. They want to change the way they're playing in terms of they don't just want to be a team on the counter-attack. They want to have more possession, play nice football, all that sort of stuff. So I think the fans are like, okay, last season was about just staying up. Now it's about building on that. So I think they have been playing better. I thought Saturday was probably their worst performance of the season. So they have improved, but we're not seeing that in the table yet. So I think the fans are starting to think, okay, are you the right man? For me, I think that the job he's done there has been absolutely exceptional. And But the owner... To be well, to be fair, to the owner he stuck with him. Mm. Um, so you don't you don't agree? You know, you talked, touched on some things there about you know opportunities missed to pick up points. You you don't actually think you know watching them a lot that he's not taken them on that notch. Not you know because it is a big jump to go from what you say, which is surviving relegation, to an established Premier yeah. League team in what were we talking six months? That's yeah. a big jump. But those little small incremental improvements, do you do you not think it's a bit that it's fair to critique him for that? Do you th- that he, they should have improved they should more. Have, they should have, you know, they should bluntly be beating Everton at home. Yeah, and they should be. And But then you've got their top... I'm not giving excuses here for them, but their Taiwo Awanyi's out until next year, their leading goal scorer. We were talking about Chris Wood before. 
and he was just marked he's marked out of the game and the he was he provided no threat whatsoever they just didn't they were so poor in the final third anthony alango was their biggest threat but even then he's putting crosses into the box for who he's running into the box and then there was just i think it was took 31 minutes for them to have any shot on goal you're not going to win at home if you're not mm. not getting any shots on goal and to be fair Everton in their last two games, the one against Manchester United and the one against Forest, they created so many good chances. And I think I wrote about that in today's paper in terms of if they want to, if they can click in terms of start scoring these chances that they're creating, I don't think they're going to be in relegation threatened at all, despite the 10-point reduction. Um, But you're right, Forest should be beating Everton at home and that's what the expectation is, especially with the home record. They're excellent there. Um, which is where the booze came from, but I was told on good authority on Saturday night that he would not be sacked um, imminently. But uh, well, if you're listening to this podcast on Wednesday and he has been sacked, let's give Charlotte the benefit. <laughs> yeah, of the please. Doubt. And I was just about to say they are playing uh, Fulham uh, away on Wednesday, so I think then Wolves. Yeah, so I think they're they're crucial. Yeah. It's crucial games for him. Basically, the owners giving given him his backing, but there's an understanding that results need to improve. It's never, the famous it's never backing. very solid, the backing, is it? No. Gregor, your former club, your reaction yeah, to Charlotte's I think, points? I think they've been on this wrong wrong end of like some really fine margin games. You think the Brighton game recently, they lost 3-2 at home. Um, West Ham, they conceded an 88th minute. Uh, again, that was another 3-2. Uh, the Luton good, Lute, Late against Luton, 2 yeah. all, yeah. So, they've been on the wrong end of some really fine margin ones. And Everton, I think, was another one. You can say that. And I agree with Charlotte that they had that kind of the when they made the change they they alighted on a, a blueprint that brought them the kind of solidity mm-hmm. and gave them enough of a threat when they had Gibbs and Brennan right. Johnson who of course is no longer there the pace of them then a one you came in come into finally came into some real form that was a kind of right we've got a blueprint for some something here um, as I say Johnson goes a one he's injured. Yeah, saying another raft of players. Gibbs White's been off colour as well this season, I think. Yeah, I mean, part of that could be to do with who yeah. he's playing, you know, who he's playing with and yeah. those relationships. So he played really well with Brendan Johnson. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So again, I think Steve Cooper, you know, should undoubtedly have longer. Do you think uh, they'll get dragged into relegation trouble though? No, I think I kind of stick with what I said earlier. I think that there's going to be four teams. It's going to be Luton, Everton, Burn- uh, Burnley and Sheffield United. Yeah. And then the rest will be... I mean, Everton might even pull away from that. They look like... Yeah. They look like yeah. Well, coming look- on to that, Charlotte, you made the point about how impressed you were about mm. how they've been playing. Tony, this was a big win. Just to finish on Everton, mm. we talked about Chris Wilder and Sheffield United and you know using a situation to galvanise your players. Do we think Sean Dyche has used the 10-point deduction to kind of say, everyone's against us, come on, boys, we need to show them what's what? Yeah, I think to a degree, yeah, because Sean likes to play the game with total commitment. Um, then there's an honesty to his side, even though I thought they were a little bit fortunate not to give away a penalty in the game. I thought Decore slightly, you know, pulling the shirt back. Yeah. I thought he was fortunate to get away with that. Um, look, he knows players. On I, I, Charlotte made a point. I didn't get when I saw the lineup, and you and I know that one year's in you, but when I saw Chris Wood, I was thinking. That's exactly right up the street of what Tarkovsky and Braithwaite want. Is a big, 
not very mobile centre-forward, who they probably think can win as many battles in the air as, as him winning them, um, and were comfortable. And, and, and that's why Forrest could never get going. And Morgan Gibbs-White probably had one of his poorest games. He's a good footballer. But he likes to play the ball early, and that option down the side wasn't on very often for him. Um, and I just feel that Everton were quite comfortable. And when you know a manager has a player that he's worked with and he knows his qualities, Dwight McNeil has become a far better player under a manager who knows him better than any other manager he's ever had. And yes, he got a wonderful goal, took it brilliantly well, because the manager knows he's capable of doing that. And ultimately, that was the difference. A bit of quality, because the game did lack quality, without a doubt. There was a lot of huffing and puffing, but not much quality in it. Uh, but an intriguing encounter that was won with a goal, with a first real bit of quality in a game that Dwight McNeil can do. Milo Lenko at left-back, by the way, thought he was terrific as well. You know, that was another reason for Morgan Gibbs-White. He had his hand full, because he, he can go either way on you. He can defend well, and he can also be a threat uh, in the forward areas of the left-back. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, calf injury. Mm. Yeah. You're saying it's minor, but honestly, can't emphasise enough how much that could be the difference for them. You know, they they created some chances in this game, but they're not going to be the same team without mm. uh, Calvert-Lewin in there. Yeah. Beto uh, up front just didn't really get going, did he? Well, he he pushed himself around. Yeah. He's big physical presence. and But, some but of I, these... I th- I th- he looks like we all know about this better than me. He looks like a striker who's too desperate to score. Like in the second half, the, oh, one of the efforts. M- <laughs> McNeil was basically into his left. Yeah. That was the he could have played that ball, but he's so desperate to score, he just blazed it into the back of the stand from yeah. like, outside the area. And I was thinking, maybe in his head because he's because yeah. he's only scored once, and that was on his debut in the mm. League Cup against Doncaster. Maybe he's just so, so, so desperate to get off the mark in the Premier League that he's just snatching at these chances when there was other options available to him. Yeah. Well, I was feeling generous in part one, so I'll keep my generosity up in part two. You've got another three £5 bet. Everton, stay up or go down? Tony? I'll definitely stay up. I'm staying up. Staying up. There you go, Everton fans. Uh, Nice bit of um, positivity. We especially might need it at home to Newcastle in the round of midweek games that I'm sure we will be talking about on Thursday. Charlotte Dunker, Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robson, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, And thank you too for listening. As I say, we'll be back on Thursday with hopefully more goals to talk about. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.